You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. On the fake, Rodgers lets it fly, has Watson, he's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown! That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him, it's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And I'm rolling solo today. First of all, I want to say thank you to Rob Westerman and Matt Ramage for coming on the show. We've gotten great feedback. People absolutely love that little, uh, you know, get together that we had. Uh, if you haven't got a chance to check it out, you can see it on my YouTube page where we kind of video cast everything and just, uh, had a uh, quote-unquote face-to-face conversation, obviously, over uh, over Zoom format, whatever you want to call it, conference call format, um, but or video conference, I should say. But, man, uh, two guys that I love and respect so much, Rob Westerman uh, at Green Bay Packers Daily, um, you know, got a huge Twitter account. If you guys get a chance, make sure you're following him. I'm sure if you're hearing my voice right now, you're already following him. If you found me, if you found this knucklehead, you got to be following Rob. If not, Give him a follow and just love his content, man. He's just one of those guys that's even kill. You don't see him arguing with people. He refuses to argue with people. It's just, hey, you know, here's my thoughts. Here's my comments. I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan, and I'm not going to allow anyone else to, uh, you know, skew my viewpoint without, um, you know, also kind of coming from an angle of being willing to hear other people's opinions but not come back and go, oh, you're stupid for that, right? He's just he's just really cool, dude. And, of course, Matt Ramage, uh, man, that dude is just – so freaking funny. Um, Ryan turned me on to his podcast and his video content and everything a long time ago. So if you guys aren't following him um, at Matt Ramage, make sure you go follow him. And um, again, you should already be following him. You probably listen to way more of his content than you have mine. So with that being said, just want to thank those guys. Now today we're flying solo and uh, we, you know, I didn't plan to go in this direction, but I got an email from a listener and it kind of steered it in this direction. So we're going to go into the quarterback room today, all right? Now, what does that mean? We're going to talk a little bit about Aaron Rodgers and the starting QB, right? We're also going to talk about the financial aspect of quarterbacks in the league. So essentially, we're going to give you a complete breakdown of Green Bay pa- the Green Bay Packers quarterback room. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is we're going to talk about leadership a little bit um, and the different styles of leadership. We're also going to talk about salary cap implications and how the Packers kind of approach the backup quarterback position. Um, you know, I was, I was sitting there when I went into the episode and started doing research, I'm thinking, have they always done it like this? Or has it been, you know, when, have they ever brought in a expensive veteran uh, quarterback to back up that type of thing? I'm going to come out with a blueprint and I'm going to answer the email, this question on how I would handle the backup quarterback position. And I think it's important to cover it because it's going to give you a little bit better understanding of the salary cap. Not that you you may already know more than me, right? But these are the things that as I'm asked questions and I provide answers, I'm learning stuff as I go along as well. But I think it'd be a pretty cool episode. But let's do this. Let's start off with Aaron Rodgers. Of course, 
Uh, he was on the McAfee show and he had a few comments and it's funny, man. I was seeing quotes come out once again uh, on Twitter and people, I don't understand why people just quote it and don't play the actual soundbite. I never understand. I don't know if they don't have time to, I don't know if they're afraid that Pat's going to get mad because some of them are in the media and they've liked to bash Pat in the past. Um, but I always like to share the, the video, the audio for full context on Twitter. And of course, Give them credit. He's got his name stamped all over. If anything, it gets the name out there even more. I would never, never understood why someone would get upset that you're sharing their content as long as you're giving them credit, right? And that's the overall goal. Um, but anyway, here's Aaron Rodgers on the Pat McAfee show. I sent a tweet out and it says Aaron Rodgers says it's going to be at least two more weeks before his decision. And he doesn't want to take any shine away from the Chiefs and the Eagles playing in the Super Bowl with his decision. And we'll kind of comment on it just, uh, just here in a second. But again, we want the full context of his comment. So let's play it. Now I want to say this guys, there's going to be uh, some bad language in these videos. I'm going to try to take out the worst part. So if you've got kids around and you don't want them to hear, you know, a, a four letter word here and there, that's just how this show is. Um, you know, that this show being the Pat McAfee show. So please uh, just be aware if you've got kids in a room, we don't want them to hear this language. I completely understand. Turn it off, mute it, whatever you got to do. But uh, I'm going to do my best to kind of steer around the worst words, but here we go with Aaron Rodgers commenting on when he will make his decision so you know look it's it's going to be a little bit more time uh for my decision um and you know i feel confident that uh in a couple of weeks i'll feel definitely uh more strongly about one of the two decisions okay so you have to make your decision and every time we talk about anything that could potentially take place with you because of Obviously, you've earned this chatter from around the NFL with how great you are as a football player. You have to still decide whether or not you want to play football. That's a real thing still happening, right? That is a real thing, yes. Like heavy, weighing heavy on your mind still, like a real battle, like are we doing pros and cons on a dry erase board, or is it just a gut instinct thing that's still happening? No, I mean, I wouldn't say weighing heavy. I don't think that's the right uh, description of it. I would say, you know, when when you've played as long as I have and you 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 know, like to recap and uh, each week, you know, the things that happened and you enjoy journaling and different things. I think it's important to, to look at the tone of those things and, and where your mind is in these, you know, when you get away from it, you know, because that's, uh, you have to get away from the emotion of it. And that's why I always think I can't make a decision until after the Super Bowl at the earliest because there's still football going on, number one. Number two, like, it ain't about me. It's about the Chiefs and the Eagles still playing and, and the great season that they've had. Respect. Uh, and but I think you got to be uh, cognizant of of what was going through your mind during the season. Did you enjoy the grind as much? Did you enjoy practice? Enjoy the meeting time? Did you enjoy the routine? So. All right. So just a couple things there. Obviously, he said <clears throat> he's he's not going to make a decision until after the Super Bowl. Guys, we talked about this from the beginning. Nothing has changed here. Um, what you're going to hear happen in the next week or two is you're going to hear some of the people that don't like Aaron Rodgers are going to amp up their voices, just like they did during the wild card round when everybody's like, oh, this drags on forever. It's like, guys, people people don't retire this early, except for unique positions, right? Like, like unique situations, I should say, not positions. We knew it would be at least to the Super Bowl. That's why I put a poll out, because I wanted those people who were screaming he's holding the team hostage to see, oh, man, I'm in the 2% that thinks he should make his decision by wild card weekend. 
it goes up to 20% Super Bowl week, meaning immediately after the Super Bowl. And then it goes up to like 70, 75% before free agency starts, meaning right up to the edge of free agency. Because you've got these plans in place by Goody. And he's got two different scenarios with, with Aaron Rodgers and without Aaron Rodgers. I personally don't think he has a trade package. I don't think he's got a scenario where if we trade Rodgers, we can do this. I don't see that personally. I think that when he sat down with Goody, it was, hey, listen, here's what we're doing. If you come back, um, here's the plan. Are you cool with that? All right, cool. Go make your decision. Every single trade topic that's been brought up to Aaron Rodgers, he shot it down. Now, he's always said never say never. And isn't it funny that he said, you know, when you say never, bad things happen. What does he mean by that? If he says, oh, I'll never be traded and a bad thing can happen, what bad things he's talking about? Being traded, right? Okay, he looks at being traded as a bad thing. How is this so hard to follow? And again, I'm not going to say it's not going to happen. I don't have a crystal ball, right? Just like I'm not going to sit here and say, I know that Jordan Love is the next great quarterback. Just like I'm not going to sit here and say, I know Jordan Love is a bust, right? And and Robin, Rob, me, Rob, and Matt, we all had a great conversation about that live the other day. And really, the whole goal of getting him them on the show, I did not ask their opinions offline. I literally wanted to get their opinions in real time because that's, that's how you you get the truth. That's how you get how someone really feels. They don't listen to my podcast, guys. They got way more going on. They got way more followers, way more listeners on their, their platforms. They're not listening to Packers Total Access. So they're not sitting there going, I know Clayton feels this way. Let me get his opinion. No. So I wanted to get their honest opinion. And they came away the same way. Like, man, I, I don't know. How, how am I going to know if a player is – that's what cracks me up about some of the people that, that try to make these front office moves from their couch as if they understand – player evaluation better than the people in the building. Guys, when I say people in the building, I'm not just talking about 1265 Lombardi. I'm talking about the 32nd team in the National Football League, the worst organization in the National Football League. I don't care who you think that is. If you feel like, oh, this one's definitely the worst one, that franchise there knows more about player evaluation than Clayton Bailey. All right. And if someone else wants to have their opinion way up here and pretend like they understand more than the people that are getting paid millions of dollars, of, you know, collectively in a front office on how to evaluate talent, then, hey, man, more power to them. But you're not going to get that on the show. I'm sorry. I'm not going to allow ego to get that big. Right. So I'll give my opinion, but I'm never going to be like, oh, they're stupid for that move. Right. It's just silly. So. With that being said, nothing's changed, right? Nothing is, has ever changed. The, the plan was to make a decision after the Super Bowl. I love what he said. He wants to respect those teams. Hey, look, they're getting ready to play in the Super Bowl. If I announce my retirement now, it takes shine away from everybody getting ready for the Super Bowl. Let's let this play out. Now, what's funny is there were some people online that said, oh, this was a shot at Tom Brady. Guys, you got to learn how to think. Like, not you listen to my voice, but those people. If you had two brain cells to rub together, then you would have done the research to see he made these comments before Tom Brady released his retirement video on Instagram. So he made this comment before Tom Brady announced his decision. This wasn't a shot at Tom. How could it be a, a shot at Tom Brady? I know Aaron Rodgers has some, some uh, very different viewpoints on life than, than me and other people, right? But I don't think he has a time machine, right? I don't think uh, Doc Brown's showing up with the flux capacitor so he could go two days in advance and see that Tom Brady said that, then come back and made a snark, make a snide comment about you know Tom Brady to make him look bad and say, oh, I'm not going to make my announcement before. I'm sorry, man. It's just, yeah. I don't think he's got the proper gigawatts 
to do that time travel, if that makes sense. So just want to point that out. Now let's move on to the other big hot topic, right? He addressed the Romeo Dobbs comments, which is still hilarious to me. Romeo Dobbs looked like a deer caught in headlights with that question. He answered it, right? He hadn't hung out with Aaron outside of the facility, right? And I, I keep hearing the reporter's voice, the, the podcast or the newscast, who, you know, whoever she was, I keep hearing her voice go, you've never <laughs> like trying to prod him, trying to get him to say, oh, no, I haven't really I haven't. But anyway, here's Aaron's response to that. And I'm going to try to navigate around this language. So just be ready. OK, um, listen, I'm 100 percent attendance on every team party. I don't know that every person can say that on the squad. So that's a chance to hang out with me. Uh, in those venues, I'm damn near 100% every single line dinner. Uh, we do some dinners on the road. Um, so I feel like I spend a lot of time with my teammates, and I love that time. Now there's obviously ones you're closer with than others. You know, Dave and Randall are two of my closest friends on the team. I spend a lot of time with them. You know, Bobby and, uh, and Alan spend a good amount of time with them as well. You know, two of my closest buddies on the team. Mason Crosby, you know, go over to his house. But what those guys have in common, especially – you know, Mace and, and Dave and, uh, and Randall, they're in their 30s. Yeah. Like, the things that I'm thinking about and doing and, and spending my time doing are a little probably different than a 21 and 22-year-old. You know, after the day is done, I'm not going home and playing video games, you know, all night and on Twitch and all these different things that young kids do, which is awesome. I mean, I have no problem with that. Hey, you, you spend your time wherever you want to spend it, but uh, I'm, I'm just not maybe having the same interests. So... I love Rome's. I mean, I enjoy playing with Rome's. I enjoy their conversation in the room. I enjoy seeing his personality come out. Um, but there's two types of leaders, you know. And, and there's leaders that want to be liked, first and foremost, and respected, second. And there's leaders that want to be respected, first and foremost, and liked, second. And I think one type of leadership makes you make decisions that are based solely in never wanting to be the bad guy. And I've just never really resonated with that type of leadership. Obviously, we all, on a, on a human level, want to be appreciated and liked. But from a leadership standpoint in the locker room, I want to be respected. I want the guys to respect my work, to respect how I hold myself accountable and hold them accountable. And to me, that's how you, uh, you model like, leadership that actually sticks and lasts in this league. And, you know, I think there's been a couple people over the years that haven't been able to handle that very well. And maybe we've had bad experiences in the way out. And that's fine. That's their experience. You know, life is about perspective. And truth is actually wrapped up in that perspective. Because our truth is going to be related to how we view the world. There's three sides of every story, though. There's yours, there's mine, and there's the truth. So we got to remember that whenever we're thinking about basically any type of story. That our perspective directly impacts the way that we, we view the world and the way that we feel about what... It's truly going on situations. That to be said, I love my teammates and love spending time with them. And I don't give a shit about any of the other comments uh, outside of that. You know, it's uh, honestly, I don't, I don't hear, I wouldn't hear it if it wasn't for Tom Fanning sending me, you know, some random text about what's going on. Love Tom for it, but I'm, uh, I'm enjoying my life right now. Yeah, he has to be the bearer of the interesting news that is circulating around your life. That is not a good position. Shout out to Tom for being the guy that has to do that. Romeo had no idea what was going to come from that. Remember, very young guy, very different than your old ass at 39. Me and Vinatieri, I mean, I think people have seen me and Vinny are tight as hell. I think whenever I was a rookie, I got in the league, he was like 36 or 37 years old. Okay. 
All right. So uh, I love that when he said, you know, Romeo Dobbs there at the end, Pat said, uh, you know, Dobbs obviously didn't know what was what was going on there, didn't know what was coming. AJ shook his head no, put his head down and smiled like, nope, he sure didn't. That's what I love about this show because they they take into consideration the player's side of how everything unfolds in the NFL. You understand at the end of a game, what do they make you do? They drag them straight into the locker room. They say, you got 10 minutes, cool down period. 10 minutes to cool down? Are you serious? <laughs> like, and, then, and don't get me wrong, I love the raw emotion. I want to hear what the players have to say. We play the sound bites here on the show, right? Live right there from Lambeau Field and the players' locker room or on the road, wherever. But it's they understand that 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 the media is trying to grab sound bites or trying to grab these emotional bits so they can put it out there and get clicks and, and get views and all that stuff. And that's that's great. I'm, I'm glad it's available there for us to watch. But I love a show that's geared towards the players because we've got plenty of the other side. And I'm th- I think both are really, really important. But until now, we haven't ever had that that other side of the uh, – of the aisle there to, to be able to hear, all right, how do the players actually feel about this? It's okay. Here's the storyline we want to run with. Here's the three articles we wrote last month. Let's make sure the soundbite that we specifically cherry pick out of this interview goes hand in hand with our narrative, right? Not that they're trying to be evil, but they're painting a storyline themselves. I would much rather hear every word that comes out of their mouth. And that's the value that you get from a show like this, from a show like Von Miller's, from a show like the Kelsey Brothers. This isn't just about Aaron Rodgers. People will hear this go, oh, you just, you know, I won't use the language they use, man. You you guys would not believe the hate DMs I get on Twitter because I show this perspective and say, hey, look, here's exactly what he said. And it drives them absolutely insane because it doesn't paint, it doesn't fall into that media's narrative. And I'm given a different side that if you go to that same person, search their Twitter page for Aaron Rodgers, you'll find every nasty thing they've ever said about Aaron Rodgers, unless they go delete it. And then, and you'll see a lot of those getting deleted if he does come back and you'll see a ton of them get deleted if he does come back and play well. Right. It's funny how that works, but they, they don't want, it to be exposed that they hate this guy. And again, I always say, if, why? I have people ask me, why do they hate him so much? I don't understand, man. I, I'm with you. And they're on my side. I understand. Exactly. Why do they hate him so much? My answer is always the same. I need you to search November 21st, or yeah, no, I'm sorry, November the 3rd, 2021. Go search that. It's either the 3rd or the 8th. And you'll see exactly why. And I always challenge people. The people that are hating on him, this is what I love about Twitter, because everything's documented in there, unless, of course, the tweet gets deleted, which they got a lot of work to do back then. There was someone the other day, it was a, a young lady who was bashing Aaron Rodgers, always bashing Aaron Rodgers. Let's, let's do a check on her. Twitter page, searched her Twitter profile, searched Aaron Rodgers, scroll back, guys, negative, 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 negative. You get to... November of 2021, and it's poof, positive, positive, positive. God, I'm going to cry the day that 12 walks away from the game. Oh, yeah, like Aaron Rodgers couldn't make that throw. You're crazy. Pat Mahomes isn't as good as Aaron Rodgers. All these, and it was just on and on and on. I was like, this is too easy. It's too easy to figure out why you hate this guy, right? So 
Anyway, and everybody has the right to their opinion. But again, just wanted to play the full context of the interview. What did he say? You know, he's he's 100% attendance to all team activities, right? Meaning when they throw together a, a team day and they go bowling or paintballing, he's there. He, he goes out to dinner with the team. He goes out to dinner with the old line. There's other dinners they put together. He's always going over to Mason's house. He's, you know, when he said he went over to Mason's house, I love the fact that Mason Crosby's kids, AJ Hawk's kid, he hasn't played with AJ Hawk in forever. AJ Hawk's kids, everybody's children, Randall Cobb's kids. He's the godfather of one at Randall Cobb's kids, right? All of them refer to him as Uncle Aaron, but he's a bad teammate. And he doesn't hang out with his teammates. So why did I bring up Mason Crosby? Earlier in the year, if you piece this together, and he could have specifically mentioned it here, but he didn't, right? Earlier in the year, what happened? Mason Crosby hosted Thanksgiving at his house. And this isn't the demonized Romeo Dobbs. I am 100% on board with A.J. Hawk and, and Pat McAfee that Romeo did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong. But the narrative that the media is trying to paint, if it were true, do you think that Mason Crosby told Romeo Dobbs, you're not allowed to come to my Thanksgiving dinner? Do you think if Romeo Dobbs went to went to Mason and said, hey, man, do you think I can come to Thanksgiving? Bro, they would have had him there in a heartbeat, right? Why didn't he go? If he wasn't there, he could have been there. Who knows? If he didn't, why? Why? Maybe he had something else going on with his family or his close friends, right? Does that make Romeo Dobbs evil that he didn't go hang out with Aaron Rodgers and Mason Crosby? Forget Aaron Rodgers, that he didn't go hang out with Mason Crosby and David Bakhtiari and the other people that went to Thanksgiving dinner at Mason Crosby's house. It's silly. It's 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 literally junior high garbage. And you're seeing each narrative start to dissolve now, right? And he actually addressed in a later video, I'm not going to completely cover it, but he actually addressed the New York Jets. He said, no, Nathaniel Hackett going to New York isn't going to sway my decision whether I'm coming back to play football or not, right? He didn't say there's a 100% chance I'm not going to be traded in New York, right? But it's like that the media immediately – and there's people that come at me and they go, oh, yep, here you go. This is just further proof that he's going to be – y'all. he'll be traded to the Jets. Like you can see them getting antsy that it might not happen now. Why? Because they doubled down and they put all this stupid conjecture out there on Twitter, on social media, in the Facebook groups, and now they're terrified they're going to be wrong. It's okay to be wrong. I would rather be wrong – with no ego than pretend or convince myself that I'm constantly right. But he said a lot of stuff there. You know, Brett Favre at the end of his career in Green Bay, he didn't go to any kind of team functions. They said he was so hard to find. Why? He had two kids he was raising, right? He was married with two kids, much different than a young Aaron Rodgers who was hosting Bible study at his house with his teammates, you see, you can see Charles Woodson said the same thing. I never hung out with 12. Of course, I was the old guy in the room and he laughed about it. He was in Aaron Rodgers' position. He wasn't trying to hang out with Aaron Rodgers or any of the other young players. Come on. Put it all. It just cracks me up. Um, so anyway, he said something. Leaders, leaders that want to be liked. There's two different types of leaders. Leaders that want to be liked and leaders that want to be respected. I cannot tell you how true that is. There's so many different quotes. A wise man's not heard in his own land. All these different things that you that come to mind from leadership books that I've read. And there's there's a, a multitude of of different ways I could talk about that one comment. Leaders, there's leaders that want to be liked and leaders that want to be respected. I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time on it. I'm just going to point out that that is 100% true. You know, he went on in another video. I'm not going to you know waste any more time playing another video. Um, want to get through the show on time here, but he talked about Rich Passaccia's leadership. And he said, that's a guy 
that leads demanding respect. And he said, and it's so important because if you go in and you lead with, uh, you know, I want you to respect me before you love me, then when it comes time to love a player, when it comes time to love a person, when it comes time to show someone you care, nobody cares what you know until they know that you care, right? But they've got to know that you understand 100% where you're trying to go before they're going to follow you, right? It's Or else you're leading them into the wilderness, like one book talks about, right? So perspective is reality. That's one thing. You know, he he said there's there's uh, three different types of truth, right? There's my truth, your truth, or my viewpoint, your viewpoint, and then there's the truth, right? There's three sides to every story. That's what it was. My side, your side, and then there's the truth. What does that mean? Everybody's perspective is skewed in different directions, right? That's perspective is reality. You know, I had a guy that I did some business projects with and he did some promotion out in the public. Right. And he was trying to promote this project he was putting together. And I won't go into all the details, but essentially he did something I would never do. And I heard a complaint on it because it was legal, but I view it as soliciting. You're you're kind of imposing your product, you're imposing your business, you're imposing your your project onto people in public when they're trying to accomplish something else, right? And got horrible feedback from it. And I told him, he said, man, we didn't do anything wrong. Clayton, we didn't do a thing wrong, man. We just did this. That's not true. I said, listen, bro, you might think that, right? That's your perspective. But they've got a perspective as well, right? There's your side, there's their side, and then there's the truth. You both can be correct or wrong and not come to the same conclusion, right? Their perspective, their perspective, right? Like that's their reality. Their perspective is their reality, period. Case closed. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you, how you feel like they should feel. It's a free country, man. At least right now, it's still a free country. We'll see how that goes. But anyway. He said, I love my teammates and I love spending time with them. And I don't give a turd about anything else. I'm going to say turd instead of the word he used. Right? I love my teammates. I love spending time with them. And I don't care what anybody else thinks outside of this building. Absolutely love it. Now, why do I do that? Immediately, it triggered something in my mind. One thing about being old, man, it sucks getting old. Um, other than obviously uh, going downhill visually. And that's I'm in the process of that right now. <laughs> Man, I look back at pictures from five years ago and I'm like, boy, Clayton, you're you're an old fart now, dude. You're getting up there. But as you get older, I've seen a ton of NFL film stuff. I am a huge NFL films fan. And immediately, you know, in my mind, I've got this bank of all this information and videos and audios I've listened to over the years. I've been watching football. You know, I didn't really become a huge football fan until right around the mid-90s, right around 94, 95 in that area. But I was watching football as early as the late 80s, early 90s, you know, as long as I can remember. I was probably six, seven years old, right? And uh, you got all this stuff that goes in from NFL films especially. One of the things that immediately made me think, it made me think of was Troy Aikman. And I'm going to play a soundbite from his football life. And I want you to understand the parallel here. We're going to go ahead and hit this. I want you to... Think of everything that's happening to Aaron Rodgers right now, the way he responds on the field that people get so freaking angry about. 
And uh, let me ask and ask yourself, why haven't I heard anybody complain about Troy Aikman doing the same thing? Why haven't I heard about Tom Br- them complain about Tom Brady doing it? The the answer is people did complain, but you're just focused on your one team, just like you think no other quarterback in the history of the in the history of the league has ever thrown a, a temper, temper tantrum on the field. But because you hate Aaron Rodgers, not you, but them, because they hate Aaron Rodgers, now all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers is at the focal point. He's the only one to ever do this. He's horrible, horrible teammate. Blah 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 blah. Despite the fact that all of his teammates defend him on the roster right now, with the exception of a few that used to be on the roster that Aaron pointed out in that interview, hey, some people don't take a liking to that. I've seen it firsthand in business, guys. That's why this doesn't – when I see somebody throw a tantrum like that, it's like, hey, people react differently. What it tells me is he cares. And I can work with someone who cares on a business project. What I can't do, I can't work with someone who doesn't give a crap, keeps their emotions completely in check, and you don't know – whether they're hot or cold, you know, the book I read says, if you're, you know, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. Like I'm done with you. Right. That, I mean, people don't follow that. People don't follow, follow just the, the, okay, whatever, you know, the whole quote, what was it? I'll probably screw it up. I'm sure I, I screw up quotes like George Bush, man. I'm horrible at this, but I'm trying to think of what it was. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think here. The, the friend of everyone is a friend to no one, I believe. A friend to everyone is a friend to no one. Meaning, if if you don't have any critics, then you don't stand for a damn thing. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is in my eyes. But let's play this. I want you all to hear this with Troy Aikman. It was very difficult then to always be the bad guy. Pack! Pack! You got packs. 136 pack. You know the play? Yeah, yeah. Guys, we're junior high. That's junior high. That's so damn pitiful. It ain't even funny. Let's go. You know, we're just not. We're not good enough. We're not as good as we used to be to be. You know, continually overcome that. You know, we can't have negative plays. I remember a time I, I was hurt. Troy came to me and said, I, "I need you to practice. I just need you out there." Sixteen. Practices are different without you being out there. I need you out there driving the guys. He said, "It's just a difference." And that was the first time I really felt like. I feel the pressure. I feel that he feels he has to do the things that Jimmy used to do to keep everybody there. And I'm sure that took a lot of fun out of it for him. As great as the first part of my career was, the back half of my career was every bit as frustrating. Once Jimmy left, I felt like we were kind of hanging on. We weren't as good in 94 as we had been in 93. 95, we won the Super Bowl, but we weren't as good of a football team in 95 as we had been in 94. And it continued. In the 1996 playoffs, the mighty Cowboys were taken down by a second-year expansion team. In 97, they hit bottom. Aikman felt it coming in preseason. Hey, guys, that's a embarrassment out there. That's a damn embarrassment. We can't block anybody up the hour hugging the ball early. Junior League. Somebody's got to get their attention and i'm and i'm and i'll tell you jack i am tired of being a guy who's got to run down everybody's damn throat all the time why don't we have a coach that gets over there and does something about it instead we want to go over and pat everybody on the ass and they haven't done a job all night guys out there off and nobody says anything about it we got a head coach who won't say anything about it we got coaches offensively won't do anything about it i mean enough's enough 
Babysitting's over. The Cowboys finished with the winning record in only one of Aikman's final four seasons. So, <laughs> anyone who listens to that and thinks that Aaron Rodgers has done worse than that, they're lying. You're talking about him cussing people out on the field, walking up and down the sideline, cussing his linemen out, which you've seen Brady do that a thousand times, right? He's a leader. Okay. But Aaron gets upset that a receiver falls down on a route or gets upset that two receivers run the same route and end up in the same area. This isn't me talking. This is Hall of Famer Kurt Warner pointing these things out, right? This is Dan Orlovsky pointing them out. I seen somebody bashing Dan Orlovsky the other day. Crack me up. Crack a podcaster bashing a guy who played multiple years as a backup quarterback in the league. Well, he's a backup. What could he know? He knows more than you sitting on the couch, right, pretending like you understand football more than him. He darn sure knows more than me. I don't have ego attached that I can't <laughs> admit that. But look at all the stuff that Troy Aikman – this is not the demonized Troy Aikman. This is just pointing out. Aaron Rodgers hasn't done half of that. Now, Troy Aikman was frustrated because there weren't coaches in place to hold people accountable. Pauls, what did Aaron say earlier in the year? we got to start cutting playing time when people screw up. You know what people were saying? Well, let's start with you, then you're the one screwing up. Okay, he's the one screwing up on this specific play. Show me the play where he screwed up. Detroit, completely agree. Spent a whole Chalk Talk episode pointing out he made throws that he shouldn't have made. The RPO was not there. They played it perfect both times they played them. Right, which they didn't they didn't have the RPO attack the second time they played Detroit. The first time they did. But what did we hear? It's like Detroit knows every single play we're gonna run. That's a little frustrating, don't you think? But again, the Detroit game, that was on Aaron. But some of the before the Detroit game and people were going, Well, you need to hold yourself accountable. He is. He said all year long he screwed stuff up, right? But when he's frustrated on the field because people are running the wrong routes, the wrong checks. Seen Tom, seen it happen to Tom Brady in the playoff game. I posted it on Twitter and it blew up. It was hilarious. It was just like, oh, you know, I, I put Packers fans watching Tom Brady throw an interception because his receiver didn't get the check at the line of scrimmage. Didn't get the check, wasn't in the right spot. Tom throws it right to a defender, right? <laughs> and I had the, you know, obviously the gif of Leo DiCaprio snapping his finger and pointing at the screen like, oh, I've seen that. Yeah, it happens, right? So they're going, no, that's on Aaron. Uh, he so-and-so was open. Why didn't he throw to him? Because the check at the line changes everything to the point where, okay, I'm going to that hot read right there, that RPO, that throw there. Oh, he didn't run the right route. Now the whole play is screwed up because the read goes from this guy to that guy. Well, he should have stuck with the original read. Okay, again, call up call up Doc, right? Doc Brown and get the, get the uh, flux capacitor fired up. Let's hop in the time machine and go back and understand in real time, okay, he's not going to run the right route, so forget that check and let's throw to this guy. Well, why didn't Matt LaFleur hold him accountable? I wonder why, guys. That's what cracks me up. So, Gudikins says it's not Aaron's fault, right? He points out he's a four-time MVP and they knew there was going to be growing pains. Matt LaFleur doesn't think it's Aaron Rodgers' fault, right? Orlovsky doesn't think it's Aaron Rodgers' fault, okay? Kurt Warner, first ballot Hall of Fame Super Bowl winning quarterback, doesn't think. I think he's an MVP, too, if I remember correctly. Might have won multiple MVPs. He watches the film 
and doesn't think it's Aaron Rodgers' fault. Mike Wall watches the film, former offensive lineman. He didn't think it was Aaron Rodgers' fault. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hmm. Maybe it wasn't Aaron Rodgers' fault. <laughs> now you take into consideration the broken thumb too. Absolutely. After the Detroit game, like I said, Aaron came out and said, I played a horrible game. He took took full responsibility for that. But you can't – everybody wants to encompass everything into this one solid answer, and that's the guy who's at fault. Jerry Gray just went to the Atlanta Falcons, right? All year long, everybody bashed Joe Barry. And when I would watch the tape, I seen DBs blowing coverages. I didn't see a thing go, nah, man – that was just a good route combo called against that specific defense. The thing about the Fangio defense with his cover six, his cover five, the spinner looks, all these things he does, and I'm not going to get into X's and O's talks. I don't want to bore you with it. All the things he does, there is an answer for everything within that defense that an offense can attack it if, big if, the players read the play correctly and end up in the right spot. When Jair Alexander jumps an underneath route when he's supposed to have deep responsibilities, then that's on Jair Alexander. That's not on the scheme. Now, if you're saying the scheme is too complex, okay, touche. Let's move on to a different scheme. There's going to be a rebuilding process in that, and you got to reload and all those things. Jerry Gray's contract ran up, and he left. And immediately, what did people do? Immediately, they went straight and said, that says a lot, doesn't it? He don't even want to coach for Joe Barry. He just let the contract, the contract expire and went somewhere else. Is it Joe Barry? Or... I'd love to see the timeline of when Jerry Gray was hired and when Joe Barry was hired. But anyway, was it that? Or could it be the players aren't listening? Well, time out, pause. What do you mean by that, Clayton? Do you have evidence of that? Oh, I don't know. The evidence of the Miami game where the reports came out, not from me, not from the media, not from the coaches, but from Rasul Douglas, that Coach Gray came in the locker room and screamed the entire time at halftime and chewed them out. And then they went out in the second half, and what happened? Bang, had one of the best second-half performances of the year. Why was he screaming? Was he screaming at him going, this scheme is completely screwed up and you guys have got to fix it? No, he was screaming at him because they were blowing coverages. They weren't doing their jobs. I think Jerry Gray let his contract uh, expire because there's a ton of money tied up in players on that team that are not playing within the scheme. That's my personal opinion. If you disagree with it, that's cool. Do your own pod. Put your opinion out there. I'd love to hear it, right? Email me and let me know that, hey, i seen this on film where I think you're wrong. Because when I watch the tape, I don't see a bad scheme. 
I see players not doing their responsibility. Well, he's lost a locker room, and that's on the defensive coordinator. Okay, that's your opinion. It's not mine. You can't have a bunch of rogue guys running around saying, well, we don't like him. We're not going to run his defense. You know what I'd do? Sit your butt on the pine. Isn't it amazing that Aaron Rodgers supposedly runs his own offense and this isn't LaFleur's system, right? But then on defense, when players blow a coverage or refuse to run a specific coverage or run their uh, their assignment in the coverage, right, whether it's a, a deep or a mid hook or a flat zone, whatever it might be, well, that's on the defensive coordinator. Guys, come on. Again, Aaron hit on it, though. There's there's your side, there's my side, and then there's the truth, right? I tend to lead towards the group effort, the Mercedes Lewises, right? The Rasul Douglases. Rasul, to me, Rasul is a huge centerpiece of this defense because he speaks the truth. He doesn't say, man, no, I, I, I you know, isn't it funny how one player, and I won't name him, came out and said, they should let me follow him. Yeah, I don't understand why they won't let me follow Justin Jefferson, that receiver, right? Okay, so screw the defense, screw the zone defense, let's switch to man, and I just want to cover him. Me, 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 I, I, I. Rasul Douglas comes out and says, we got to play better. That's huge, in my opinion. So, uh, Kenny Clark's another one. You won't hear him throwing coaches under the bus. There's nothing wrong with the scheme, although with what happened in Minnesota, I think teams have caught on, everything's cyclical. This is where... Joe Barry and Matt LaFleur are going to earn their freaking paycheck. You have to adjust. Belichick's done it over a multitude of decades. Sean McVay pointed that out at the Super Bowl. The, the, the coaches that are willing to adjust and adapt become the best coaches in the history of the game. I don't care what anybody says. Mike McCarthy's at the top of the list. As soon as he gets a ring in Dallas, and I think he may do it, if he gets a ring in Dallas, that dude's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I'm excited about it because he's a great coach, and he's willing to change and evolve. He's willing to make the tough decisions. Well, Aaron hated him. Did he really? And it's funny how that report was Aaron's running him out of town. And then Mark Murphy told Aaron, don't be the problem here. Aaron Rodgers, when he talked about he wanted things changed in that building, what he wanted changed is the fact that somebody like Mike McCarthy can bring a Lombardi back to Title Town. He literally handcrafts Aaron Rodgers into the quarterback that he is. And the second things get a little bit, eh, what happens? They call him up immediately following a loss and run him out of Green Bay. And Aaron was uh, totally against that. But Aaron hated McCarthy, and he's the one who wanted McCarthy gone. I'm not saying it was all hunky-go-dory when McCarthy was there between Aaron and McCarthy. But again, there's your side, there's my side, and there's the truth. And the fact that they just cut him loose the way they did midseason was wrong. Sorry. I was against it at the time, and I'm still against it to this day. And I like Matt LaFleur. I think Matt LaFleur can be a great coach. But everything that Aaron highlighted, it does – I'm sorry. Forget Aaron even made those comments. Listen what fans said all year long. Listen to what some of the guys said on this podcast right here. Listen to what Jacob said at postgame uh, shows. And he hit the nail on the head. He was so sick and tired of hearing LaFleur go, we just got to play better. We just got to do this. We just got to fit – rather than – like Troy Aikman said, I'm so sick and tired of having to be the person to run down everybody's throat when something doesn't go wrong. We got coaches that won't say anything. We got a head coach that won't do anything. We got assistant coaches that won't do anything. Babysitting's over, right? So, again, it all comes down collectively. Everybody is a group being unified and going, here's the direction we need to go in, right? And if Aaron's behind the scenes picking apart LaFleur, then I'm completely against that. 
and the floor's got to grab his you-know-what and say, shut up, sit down, I'm the head coach, here's what we're doing. Because Belichick used to do that to Tom Brady. And I think Aaron Rodgers is not against that. I truly do. Now, if you try to pat each other on the rear end and play best friends, then, yeah, you've lost them. Because some coaches lead with demanding respect, Rich Basaccia, and some coaches lead wanting to be loved, Matt LaFleur. And I think Matt LaFleur has time to change that to a certain extent, but he's got to be himself. He's got to be himself. Because the second that you're not yourself, they know you're a fraud, you lose the locker room. That's a John Madden quote, not a Clayton Bailey quote. So let's move on to the next topic here. Um, this came. This is an email uh, from a listener on the show, and I think this is really, really cool to uh, – um, I think I hit on everything, the hand gestures at teammates. Let me just recap here. Michael Irvin saying that he felt the pressure that Troy felt um, because Troy was like, you got to help me here. Barry Switzer isn't doing his – you know, he, he isn't doing everything he can to get the best out of these players, and I'm having to be the bad guy. I need your help, essentially is what Michael Irvin said he told him. And then, you know, coach is not holding everybody accountable. Yeah, we're good. All right, let's move on. Email from Alicia. This is going to be really cool. We're going to dive into the quarterback room. Um, Alicia says – Hi, Clayton. I love your show and have many of the same feelings you do surrounding Rodgers, the cap, etc. I thought about something this morning and would like to hear your opinion. If Rodgers decides to retire or is traded, I would assume we'd be in the market for a veteran backup quarterback um, to have behind love. What do you think? Who do you think is a, a reasonable option in that scenario? Would the Niners consider parting ways with Jimmy G? I look forward to hearing what you think. Um, Alicia, Alicia, thank you so much for the email. Really appreciate it. It's a great question, and I'm glad you brought it up. This is a topic I wanted to cover for some time. Backup quarterback, silly as it sounds, because when you when you break everything down to the bare bones minimum, you get down to the skeleton of an organization, whether it's a business, whether it's a team, whether it's uh, more specifically, um, you know, an aspect of a business or when it comes to football, a position group. I think when you get down to the bare minimum, you got the foundation you're laying in place for a position, for an organization, for a unit. Um, it really starts with that backup role and how you're going to uh, attack it. Right. And there's really there's two paths and. I enjoyed doing research on this, and that's why I appreciate the emails so much, Alicia. These are the emails that I talk about where listeners email into the show, and it makes the show so much better because it forces me to study something and learn something at a different level. Um, two paths. You, you, you can have a serviceable backup, and you can go extremely cheap. What does that mean? You can spend money on a backup and say, okay, if our starting quarterback goes down, the season isn't over. Or you can go crazy, crazy cheap, right? Some would say there is a lot of money that's been wasted on veteran backup quarterbacks over the years. Um, I've seen scenarios where they've come in and bridged the gap. You've seen that in San Francisco this year. When Trey Lance went down, it's it's not exactly the same. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh because it's so such a crazy situation. You spend all that draft capital and trade value and everything on getting in a position to draft Trey Lance and – Anybody who's got two eyeballs to watch the game can see that Jimmy G is a better quarterback than Trey Lance right now. Not saying that Trey couldn't blossom into a great quarterback, but this is a perfect example of why it was so important for Aaron Rodgers to sit on the bench behind Brett Favre. And he's talked about it over and over and over. He talked about it on the Bill Maher show the other day, whether you like Bill Maher or not or his content. I, you know, please don't let that comment become about that um, because I don't know much about the guy. I just know when I seen the show. I did a little research on him, and there's a lot of controversy around politically 
it's amazing how both right wingers and left wingers hate him. Both of them hate him, which probably leads me to believe I might end up liking the guy, but I don't know enough about him. Um, but he was just kind of talking about Aaron went on this, you know, this little not rant, but just kind of in depth talking about. I mean, I got to sit behind one of the toughest quarterbacks to ever play the game and get to learn behind him, right? And the fact that he got to sit so long allowed Aaron to train under Mike McCarthy because we know Brett didn't go out of his way to help Aaron, right? We know that for a fact now. Um, and, and if you disagree with that, email me. There may be something I missed. But, um, you know, he got a chance to, to study under McCarthy and, and Favre, watch Favre, you know, play the way he played. And McCarthy teaching Aaron behind the scenes and sitting on the bench for three years was huge for Aaron Rodgers. Right. Well, you've got Trey Lance. He sat on the bench one year and he comes in and he was a disaster. It was a nightmare. Right. Now, Jimmy G comes in and plays solid for the Niners. He goes down. And then, of course, you got Brock Purdy come in. Brock Purdy did not play great, guys. If you remove the win loss record and just look at it statistically, Brock Purdy was not a very accurate quarterback. Like in the games I watched, I haven't dove deep dove too much into all the statistics. But the games I've seen, he left a lot of plays on the field with his inaccuracy, right? And there's probably the reason that he fell to the seventh round to the very last pick of the draft. With that being said, his teammates loved him. He showed a lot of moxie. He could scramble around and, and create enough space. Kind of, He reminded me of an extremely young, raw Tony Romo, and I thought Tony Romo was a great quarterback. But nonetheless, you could kind of see these two different paths, serviceable backup or extremely cheap. You know, let's look at the top free agent market real quick, okay? And uh, we're going to kind of address this. When it comes to the top quarterback free agents, I'm going to list them off. I'm going to give you a pick at the end here before we wrap up the show if we did go that route who I would take. You've got Tom Brady, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Jimmy Garoppolo, Teddy Bridgewater, Daniel Jones, Case Keenum, Mason Rudolph, Jacoby Brissett, Geno Smith, Joe Flacco, Andy Dalton, Mike White, on and on and on. Okay, so those are the top free agents that are available right in the market. Who is our backup quarterback right now if Aaron Rodgers retires? It's Danny Etling. Let's go to Danny Etling and look at his costs, right? How much does any Danny Etling cost this year against the cap? If Aaron Rodgers retires, we free up roughly $16 million in cap relief, right? And Jordan loves your starting quarterback at, at an extremely cheap rate at $3.9 million, I believe, this year. Danny Etling is $750,000 towards the cap. Now, some are going, yeah, but can Danny can Danny Etling win you ball games if Jordan Love goes down? I don't know. Did you think Brock Purdy could? Well, Brock Purdy was drafted in the seventh round, right? Where was Danny Etling drafted? If I remember correctly, he was taken higher by the New England Patriots. I think a fifth or a sixth round pick. I don't have that info in front of me. Shoot me an email, hit me up on Twitter, and let me know that, and we'll have a chat about it. But to pretend like Brock Purdy is a way better quarterback than Danny Etling just because he came in, caught people off guard as they adjusted to try to stop the run, thinking this seventh-round pick isn't going to do anything. I think that played a big role. You get in the playoffs, what happens? He gets hurt. He j everything just falls apart for the San Francisco 49ers, right? But I want to talk about the financial aspect. Danny Etling has been – he's been running the scout team. We'll get to that in a second. But 750000 towards the cap. That is so freaking cheap. Now, people will look at our quarterback, if you look at the quarterback position room right now, and we're ranked toward the top of the league because of Aaron Rodgers' salary cap hit and Jordan Love's. But keep in mind that most of these teams don't even have quarterbacks under contract at the moment. 
like San Francisco will show fairly low because Jimmy G isn't on the roster anymore, right? Um, these teams may re-sign some of these players and change that that overall ranking of, of how much money is being spent on the quarterback. Jordan Love this year, $3.9 million against the cap. Last year, Jimmy G was $12.9 million against the cap as a backup going in. Why do I mention that? Because the plan was for him to be a backup. He hit the market seeking the trade. There wasn't any buyers on the trade, so he came back and renegotiated with San Francisco, and they settled on $12.9 million against the cap. He made $12.9 million against their salary cap last year that they cannot get back. That was the cap hit that year. Now, why is that important? Why do I only follow cap hit? Because there's a rollover aspect, guys. There's so many things that all these people that claim to be cap gurus, they don't mention in the moment they want to harp on one specific situation, one specific aspect of the roster at the time, and draw this narrative that this is horrible, this is doom and gloom, this will never work, right? All we've heard is Aaron Rodgers is a $50 million quarterback, $50 million quarterback, $50 million quarterback, and people are so shocked to see that his cap hits $31.6 million, right? You take that $31.6 million coupled up with Jordan Love, and you've got a total of, what, $41 million. Now, let's go to the cap hits of other quarterbacks. Again, Aaron Rodgers, I think this year is the eighth or ninth highest cap hit amongst quarterbacks this year. <laughs> it's crazy. There's There are quarterbacks that are a higher cap hit this year against their team's cap than our entire quarterback room. One quarterback is. And that includes a first-round pick for us in Jordan Love and a four-time MVP in Aaron Rodgers. But yet Aaron Rodgers is this horrible contract situation. Now, why do I mention that? I don't care about cap it. I just care about the guaranteed money. Okay, you fan how you want to fan. This is the way I look at it. The money that we save each year is rolled over to the next year. Now, don't get me wrong. I've already allocated all that money into the next salary cap numbers that we're looking at. So everything's balanced out using Spotrack, using over the cap, all those things. A little bit of variance between the two, but that's okay. I like Spotrack personally. Um, last year with Jimmy G being $12.9 million against the cap. So what does that mean? There's an $8 million difference there between him and Jordan Love. Jordan Love 3.9. Let's just call it – well, it's actually exactly – let's see how much it is here. Yeah. So you see the difference there, an $8 million difference. What does that mean? Over the course of three years, let's say that San Francisco had that kind of backup money tied up in their quarterback. Over the course of three years that Jordan Love was with us, that $8 million difference – tallies up to $24 million in rollover cap. You see how the game's played now? Over the last three years, by taking Jordan Love with a first-round pick, yes, you spent a first-round pick on Jordan Love. I love how everybody just – they just uh, pretend that first-round picks are a slam dunk, and when you take a quarterback that's going to be a backup player, then it completely screws your franchise because you could have had a slam dunk great pick with the first pick. That's silly. Look at Darnell Savage, right? I mean, it, it, you've seen it time and time again that first-round picks don't pan out. I mean, you could go all the way back to Nick Perry. You could go back to all these. They're not slam dunks. That's why I'm a fan of trading back. You mentioned trading back from number 15, and people freak out. What are you doing? We're going to miss out on a great player. That comes down to the horizontal board, whether there's generational talent and or a top-tier level player on the board when you pick at 15. If there's not, get out of there and trade down. But the fact that they drafted Jordan Love, which 
at the moment tells me he was a top-tier talent to them, and I still am leaning towards they think he's the franchise quarterback of the future, which is really freaking exciting as a Green Bay Packer fan when Aaron does walk away, right, or traded. We always got to put that in there because it is a chance. But again, over the last three years, saving $8 million per on average compared to this Jimmy G situation, if he were on the roster those three years as well, you save $24 million in rollover cap. That's literally you have allocated this year. If you take away that $24 million that you've saved now over the last three years, what happens? That $24 million on top of the 15, 16, 17 that you're over the cap, whatever it is, 17.5 is what Spotrack is showing right now of, of top 51 because only the top 51 count towards the cap. Then tack on that $24 million and what do you have? $30, $41 million over and over cap right now is what you would be if you went that veteran way. And, again, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that's why they did what they did, right? So it's a great question by Alicia and pointing out, okay, what it does when we go in and do this little case study is, okay, bang, here's the pros and cons. You could get a quarterback – and I'm going to tell you who my pick is here in just a second. You could get a quarterback and do that, but just understand when you pay more money than what you could pay for the backup, it really throws things into turmoil, right? And one I'm going to point out here, tell you, I'm going to go ahead and make my pick, and then I'm going to backtrack to Danny Etling for a second. Essentially, you got two options, Alicia. We can go sign a more expensive backup quarterback, right, to help back up Jordan Love and um, also – be able to fill in for a pinch. You know, if, if Jordan goes down, you can come in and try to win a ball game. As we go down this list, Tom Brady, nope, not going to happen. Baker Mayfield, he was with the Rams last year. It was the first year he was in Shanahan's system, right? Um, I'm sorry, not Shanahan's, but McVay's system. The system would match, right? His 2022 annual uh, average was $8.1 million. You got Sam Darnold in Carolina, right? 7.5 was his money last year. Um, Jim, Jimmy Garoppolo um, in 2023, it's saying is seven million. I don't know if that's the cap hit if they push years out. I'm not sure how that's structured. We'll talk about his market value. Um, actually, I'll click on his market value right now uh, and kind of give you an idea of what that is. I think it came to thirty eight million dollars. Yeah, was Jimmy G's market value right now, which I just think is silly. Teddy Bridgewater from Miami at six point five annually. And then Daniel Jones at $6.4 million, Case Keenum at $6 million. If you look at all of these, which one would already know the terminology within the system, right? Baker Mayfield had one year under his belt in L.A., right? And then, of course, you've got Jimmy G, who's going to be way out priced. You're not going to go for him. Teddy Bridgewater in Miami is the one that comes to mind for me. He's 30 years old. So if you were going to sign a veteran quarterback, that would be the one I would go for. It's showing his annual average value at $6.5 million, okay? So let's take that $6.5 million and say we do sign Teddy. Danny Etling next year is $750K against the cap. Now, timeout. Let's look at the pros and cons between Teddy Bridgewater and Danny Etling. First of all, what's the backup's number one goal? The backup's number one goal is you're basically the personal assistant to the starting quarterback. A lot of people don't know that. If you go and look at the money that's been spent on backups over the years, the value is truly in helping that quarterback prepare. They work They work well together. Doug Peterson and Green Bay behind Brett Favre for years was absolutely huge. 
nobody, everybody knew if Doug Peterson got thrown in the game, we probably wasn't going to win the game. He didn't have the arm strength. He didn't have the accuracy. He wasn't going to come in and win ball games for you as a starting quarterback. But he was there to help Aiden Brett being prepared for games coming up. When Aaron came in, one of the things that Aaron did, and I think it's very, very unique, he said that every week he would put together a scouting report for the team they were going to play, the defense they were going to play, and he would give it to Brett. He said, I don't know, Brett may have thrown it in the trash, and he laughed about it, but I did that out of preparation, and he may have used it and got some help for it. Not all quarterbacks do that. They put together a scouting report, but they are there to help bridge the gap. Hey, go look at go look at this specific uh, defensive front for me and see what they do. Okay, got it. They'll watch the tape, they'll come back and go, okay, here to the starting quarterback, the backup will be like, all right, when they're in this front, they're running this defense most of the time. When they when they show blitz here, sometimes they fire zone off the backside, so watch for that D, that D lineman to drop here. Little things like that. Aaron Brung, a complete scouting reporter. You don't hear that story much. I heard it on a, a video I've watched, and I thought that was really cool. Now, why do I mention that? Danny Etling has been running the scout team now for, uh, you know, he ran the scout team all of last year. He knows Green Bay's playbook and his system and its terminology inside and out, right? He's also a mobile quarterback, so you get a little bit of that aspect to him. There's some uh, some positives to it. He's an extremely smart football player. That's why Belichick uh, drafted him or signed. I can't remember if he was an undrafted free agent or if he was actually drafted. If you guys know that, hit me up on Twitter or in an email. Um, but Danny Etling already knows the system. He already knows the scheme. Here's another thing. He and Jordan Love have been running that scout team, right? Jordan Love probably had the first team reps with the scout team. But Danny Etling, being on the practice squad, has already been in the building helping Jordan Love prepare. Doesn't that sound like his own Doug Peterson, right? So, to me, Danny Etling is more qualified than Teddy Bridgewater. He doesn't have the arm talent of Teddy Bridgewater, I'm sure. Now, Teddy's over 30 years old, which sometimes that don't really matter with quarterbacks. He might not have the accuracy of Teddy Bridgewater. But when you weigh the pros and cons, the fact that he already knows the system, he knows the scheme, Teddy knows the terminology, absolutely, because he comes from Mike McDaniel's uh, Shanahan version of this offense. We're more of the McVay tree, but the terminology is very, very similar, right? They run a lot more 21 personnel. We run a lot more 12 personnel, okay? So – that's uh, actually we didn't run any 21 personnel. We don't have a fullback on the roster. We've just got uh, a true H or tied in that we're kind of looking to play that fullback role. Right. Um, but it's very seldom we line up in the eye, the offset eye, the things that they do with orbit motion in San Francisco, um, in Cincinnati, things like that. We've talked about that on Chalk Talk, but I don't want to get too embedded into that. But the point is, I personally think Danny Etling is the better pick as the backup. At 750K, and let's say you pick up the, the comparison is Bridgewater if he's my pick of the litter here, right? And he's one of the cheaper ones, probably. Let's say it is six and a half million that he would count towards the cap as a backup quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, right? Danny Etling being 7.5, let's just round it up to a mil, right? Let's go one milli. That's 5.5 million more than Danny Etling. Now, let's do our little project again, right? When we talked about Jordan Love in comparison to Jimmy G being the backup, right, and the money you saved over the course of three years. Let's say you got Danny Etling back at a minimum contract, and it'll, it'll go up slightly but not a whole lot more. Let's just do it at a million dollars veteran minimum over the next three years. If you go a, a backup role, if you go the backup route like Teddy Bridgewater, then you got $5.5 million. Let's just take it down 
to $5 million for easy math. Let's say it's just $5 million in savings, having Etling as your backup quarterback as opposed to a Teddy Bridgewater, a Baker Mayfield, a Sam Darnold, somebody like that, right? Then you're going to save $15 million against the cap over the next three years. And that $15 million will matter three years from now because that money is rolling over every single year. Guys, listen to me. That's why the cap hits matter so much. Because however much you're under on the cap, it rolls to the next year. You're essentially building up that credit. And you've got some of these guys that want you to get hung up on quote-unquote guaranteed money or cash. cash. Well, he's actually making $56 million. He's actually making $65 million. He's actually making – the numbers went from 99 to 55 to 59, back up to 99. It's amazing because we've said all along nobody truly knows what Aaron Rodgers' contract is until he retires and you see exactly what happens, how they restructure it, how they re-sign a new deal, how they go into that phase pre-June, post-June, all those things, right? But again, it was cool to dive into this because the answer I come away with, and I am somewhat conservative when it comes to finances. Um, it's amazing. You say conservative, people immediately think politically. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm very on the safe side. I grew up with little to nothing as a kid. And I thought, man, when I get out on my own, dude, I'm going to protect my money. I'm going to save my money. I'm going to invest my money. I'm not going to be out the club, you know, carrying around a, a, a $8 beer that's warm because I can't afford to buy another one and wasting money and pretending like I'm, you know, being a poser, pretending like I'm better off than I am to kind of fit into the nightclub. No, I was 18 years old. I was at home in the bed by 10 thinking about how can I work a 14 hour shift tomorrow to get more money to throw in the savings. That's my mindset. So I come from a very conservative standpoint in that regard. But when you've got assets that you need to invest in, you've got to be willing to invest in those assets that are going to net you the biggest return. A backup quarterback is not one, right? That's why people, they freak out over the Jordan Love pick, and you would think, oh, that, that would be a huge investment. I don't see a first-round pick as being a huge investment under this new CBA. The old one, Absolutely you'd have to negotiate a contract with him. And Jordan Love's contract would probably have been more than people that were taken above him because he's a quarterback and they carry more value. Now all positions are equal to a sense that they hit on a pay scale and it slowly goes down with each pick, which is absolutely phenomenal for people who manage the salary cap, the front office side of football. Not so great for the football players, which we all know there was a lot of arguing going on back and forth with how that was going to be negotiated. Um, as far as the CBA goes. So me, I'm going the Danny Etling route. If we don't go the Danny Etling route, I would circle Teddy Bridgewater. Now you might get into a little bit of a bidding war there with Miami. Tua has, is now officially out of concussion protocol, so it sounds like he's going to continue his career next year. So it's not like they're going to go throw big bucks at Teddy Bridgewater because Tua retired. I'm not saying he couldn't, but as it sits right now, it sounds like he's not going to, right? So with that being said, that would be my pick. Danny Etling over Teddy Bridgewater. If you go the free agent market and Teddy Bridgewater is available, he's the one who fits what I would want in a backup quarterback. But again, um, you move forward, Danny Etling, man, you're going to, you're going to save a ton of money in that backup room. Now, this is what I was talking about, how the Aaron Rodgers contract is not doom and gloom. If he walks away this year, we free up a $16 million in contract, right? Guess what happens? All of a sudden, it's like 15.9 that we would free up. That we know of, guys. That could change, okay? So when you look at the salary cap situation here with the Green Bay Packers, we would almost be even on cap space right now, and we still have $40 million in simple restructures that we can do, $70 million in maximum restructures we could do. 
So you could very easily free up money and hit the free agent market. Jordan Love steps in as your starting quarterback, right? And you got Danny Etling with pennies on the dollar. And at the same time, you're probably going to be able to re-sign him next year because teams aren't going to be clamoring over this guy who's already jumped around from two or three teams. Now, there may be some teams that go up and make an offer and, and jump that price to $2 million, $3 million per year, and you got to weigh the option, okay, do we go ahead and bring him in? Now, you may go out and draft a quarterback. Some of you are going, why would you do that? You just lay this whole scenario out. You guys remember when Aaron Rodgers took over starting quarterback, a lot of people don't remember this. They immediately drafted a second-round quarterback. They spent a, a, a fairly high second-round pick, if I remember correctly, on Brian Brom out of Louisville. Why did they do that? Because they did not know if, if Aaron Rodgers was going to be Aaron Rodgers. Right? And the best time to draft a quarterback is when you don't need one. You've got this guy that you spent a first-round pick on. He's going to be our starting QB. Our coaching staff believes in him. Until we get him in games, we don't know. They went out and spent a second-round pick on Brian Braun. Don't be surprised if a top-tier quarterback drops in the draft and you've got Jordan Love coming into this year and it's the last year of his contract if they haven't extended him yet. They've got to make a decision by May 3rd. I believe it's 3rd. It's definitely in May on whether they're going to pick up that fifth-year option for Jordan Love. But whatever they decide, don't be surprised if a top-tier talent drops in the draft that they take a quarterback at number 15. It's not out of the realm of possibility because you can never have too many great quarterbacks on your roster, period. I mean, that's that's an option too. But if you move forward with Danny Etling, man, that's exciting. You're basically broke even. you got to do some simple restructures to bring some players back, the ones that are uh, going to be a part of your immediate future, right? And uh, you kind of reload a touch and you come back out with a healthy roster next year with Jordan Love at the helm. Or you come back with Aaron Rodgers. If you come back with Aaron Rodgers, you're going to have to dip into that simple restructure a little bit more. You might have to make a couple of tough decisions, but I'm not in the camp of you got to let Aaron Jones go. I, I personally think that's silly, not to say that it couldn't happen, but that's your best offensive player on the roster. There's going to be some adjusting going on. It's just still a little bit too early to know exactly how the cap's going to fall. So hopefully that answered your question, Alicia. Um, I didn't plan on, when I seen the email, I didn't plan on going that in depth, but I'm glad we did because it was fun. And I learned a ton there. Um, that's why I love love when the listeners email the show because it makes me dig a little bit deeper into the numbers. Hopefully all that made sense. We may be off a million or two here or there, depending on Spotrack to over the cap. But essentially that those are the kind of the numbers that you were looking at. You can't put too much value in the fact that we've saved all this money at the backup quarterback position. Yes, we invested a first-round pick in it, but also what it allows Jordan Love to do is learn under Aaron Rodgers. You know, Aaron Rodgers learned under Brett Favre, and at the time people said that he gets to study under a Hall of Famer. There was many people that said, yeah, but we don't want the next quarterback playing with the reckless abandon that Brett Favre does. It's his only negative, right? He, he can't teach somebody how to throw a ball hard. He can't teach them how to be accurate. What he's going to teach them is how to read the defense and how to learn as you go along. Brett got a little bit better than that later in his career, and I know he threw the the interception there in the playoffs that ended the, the Packers' run there uh, his last year, his last throw at Lambeau Field, right, in 2007, I think it was. Um, but it's just important to understand that we have saved a ton of money at the backup position at quarterback with Jordan Love at the helm, and it's really exciting. Again, I broke it down there just from the backup numbers. I think there was one – I can't remember how much they paid for it, but the one that comes to mind for me too, I should have looked it up, was uh, not Jared Stidham, but um, – God, I can never remember his name. 
He was the backup quarterback in New England that was ahead of Jarrett Stidham. I think he's actually a coach now. Ah, it's evading me. But anyway, they paid they paid big bucks to have him as a backup, right? And you could compare those numbers to Jordan Love being a first round pick with this new slotted system with the CBA, and there was money saved there. Just just drawing that comparison from team to team. So I think it's something that's important. I think it was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Alicia, for taking the time to email. It's what makes the show so great. So we're going to get out of here, guys. Hopefully that answered everything that we were going to cover. I didn't want to go that route, but with the Aaron Rodgers comments and immediately triggered up the Troy Aikman talk, I wanted to point out some of those things and how I think that's the point he was making. Immediately, I know people will argue and come back and say, well, he wasn't at offseason. He wasn't at all the offseason stuff. What do you mean he went to every team activity? Guys, if you think Aaron Rodgers being at a non-contact practice is going to fix the fact that his receivers led the league in drops. You're kidding yourselves. Like, get on the jugs machine, bro. That's that's how Romeo Dobbs started to button up that problem, right? So it's uh, I don't know, man. Aaron Rodgers being at at a non-padded uh, camp practice activity, whatever you want to call it, non-contact, I should say, isn't going to help AJ Dillon catch the ball better. It isn't, and it also isn't going to help rookies understand. The roster better. You know, it's funny that or the roster understand their uh, the the scheme better. I'll say this as we get ready to part ways here. Like one player doesn't have that big of an impact. It's just easy to point that one player out when he's the one that everybody likes to hate on, right? So part of me is looking forward to him retiring because when he does retire, we can put all this to bed and there won't be this bickering and watching the quarterback because Jordan Love is not going to be um, as demonstrative on the field as Aaron Rodgers. You can see they're two different personalities, right? Brett Favre was the fun-loving, jumping around, taking his helmet off, acting like a kid, playing a kid's sport, right? Aaron Rodgers, early in his career, did some of the similar things, but he was more surgical, and they said he was so even-kill and calm in the pocket, right? He was so even-kill in the huddle. They said he's the same guy all the time. He's just very, very serious, and he never gets rattled, never gets rattled. You had other players talking about him drawing plays up in the dirt there in McCarthy's last years and just doing stuff on the fly. And he was so calm, cool, and collective, right? You're going to see that with Jordan Love, but you also seen that with Troy Aikman early in his career, right? And as people's careers wind down and they see the door closing and they want to get that last championship in and they see things around them not happening the way that they feel like they should, everybody's human beings. Everybody's got their own viewpoint on stuff. Everybody's got their own perspective. There's your side, there's my side, and there's the truth, right? And – I think you'll see that with Jordan Love. He'll be even kill early in his career. He'll get a big contract if he is the starting quarterback for the Packers. He'll lead this team hopefully to a Super Bowl or two. And then on the backside, you'll see him get frustrated like you've seen Tom Brady get frustrated in New England and end up leaving. Like you've seen, you know, a multitude of quarterbacks do. you even seen it with Kurt Warner, him getting frustrated at the end of his run. Because you see the window closing, your play starts to decline a bit and there's not things in place around you. Maybe you don't have any say in the organization and, and you know the pieces you want around you. It's just part of life, man. When you start winding down, things get frustrated, man. When you start to lose your edge, you see your talent start to go. You see your best friends leave the company and go on to other jobs or retire. Um, you lose loved ones, all those things, right? It's life. Just got to give people uh, room to grow and, and kind of adjust as we go, so. With that being said, man, we're going to get out of here. I want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen. I want to congratulate uh, Tim Green for winning the jersey. Seen the tweet you put out, buddy. So glad you're enjoying that, man. And we appreciate you supporting the show. You're always a positive dude. Like I said, I was so jacked when when your name popped up in that wheel as the winner. 
I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is awesome because you're always out there encouraging people. You're always tweeting about supporting troops and all that stuff, man. And we really appreciate it. So we can get out of here. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world and go back go. On the fake. Rodgers lets it fly. Has Watson. He's got it on his feet and he's in for the touchdown. That might be the biggest catch of this young receiver's career from Christian Watson. You can see him. It's just press man. They talk about his speed, his ability to get behind the defense. It's just a matter of can he catch it. That's a great job tracking the ball. He just took a big sigh of relief. Look at his buddies greeting him on the sideline, man. That's got to feel good.